Oh, I suppose you heard about that. And thank you for the special, by the way. If you want to sing a duet, you'll have to get somebody to help you beside me. Because <laughs> I've got what's known as a locked voice. It's always looking for the right key. <laughs> so you got to find somebody that can sing. But boy, that was tremendous. Um, let's see. Somewhere here. It's a thick book. Um, chapter 4, down in the middle. But I wanted to read something to you just because I, I don't know, just for giggles. Um, so I was, uh, I was uh, with Pastor Bevan's welder down in down in uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. And you know, Corpus is the body, and Christi, it's the body of Christ, Catholic, 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 Catholic area. And uh, they've got a great church there, and it was wonderful to be with them. And he uh, <clears throat> knew I was coming up here, and he said to send greetings. And he wrote me this. He said, years ago, I asked Joel Dunbar why he thought all of his siblings ended up serving the Lord. Instantly, he said, my mother practiced at home what my father preached at church. Every morning, without fail, she was in her chair reading the Bible and praying. What a testimony. And uh, I just so blessed to be here, and I love the reputation that you guys have around the country. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you about the third grade teacher. And she said, I'll give $5 to the first student who can tell me who the most famous person in history is. And little Jimmy O'Donnell raises his hand. He says, I know, I know. It was St. Patrick. And she said, well, nice try, Jimmy, but it wasn't St. Patrick. And Bobby Olson raised his hand, and he says, I know, I know. It was, it was Abraham Lincoln. And she said, no, nice guess, but it wasn't Abraham Lincoln. And little Jaime Goldberg raised his hand, and he says, it was Jesus Christ. And she goes, that's, that's right, Jaime, come on up, congratulations, get your, get your $5. And she gives it to him, and boy, he's walking back with his $5. And she said, you know, I was a little bit surprised that you being Jewish, you knew the answer to that question. And he said, look, it's really Moses, but business is business. <laughs> <laughs> it's really Moses, but business is business. Boy, that's way, way too pragmatic, isn't it? Okay, now tonight, um, if you can only come to one service, tomorrow night would be the one to come to. <laughs> but uh, I'd like you to look, we're going to be in Genesis primarily, chapter 46, and here in chapter 3 or 4, somewhere early. And um, really, it's kind of a long road to a small house, but where I'm, I'm going is I'm challenging the men, but really the men and women together. But in this passage, it's primarily talking to the men and I want to challenge you to be all God wants you to be, but I want to recognize something, and that is frequently I run into people who are, I'll say, critical of anybody who's ever done anything or had anything. And they spend their whole life envying criticizing, complaining. And this is in many workplaces, 
Why does he get to be the foreman? How come I didn't get to be this? Why didn't I? And I always felt like, boy, it's, you know, you're free white and 21. It's a big country. You could make of your life what you want to make of it. Don't spend your time criticizing everybody else. The way up is, and, and I've seen it my whole life. If you spend your time stepping down on people and stepping down on people, whether you realize it or not, everybody watching you, you're going down, down, down in their sight. You might feel better about it, but it doesn't command respect of the people that know you. You, you just can't build anything constantly being critical. And so I want you to notice and I want to give God credit for the fact that we're all different and we're all equipped differently and we all have different abilities. And here in Genesis 4, you guys are familiar with this truth, but it says under, uh, in verse 20, uh, well, we'll look at verse 19, and Lamech took unto him two wives, the name of the one was Ada and the other name of the other Zillah, and Ada bare Jabel. Watch what it says. He was, in verse 20, the father of such as dwell in tents and of such as have cattle. He's a farmer. But from this same woman, watch, and his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. He's a musician. Same blood. Two completely different boys. And then, and Zillah, she also bare Tubalcain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubalcain was Naamah. One guy is... Handy, a craftsman, a silversmith, an artificer in metal. One guy's a farmer and one guy is a musician. Anybody that's had several children will tell you, hey, this kid really, really likes it. They're a spatial learner and they really like to do things and build things. And this one's my bookworm. This one just loves the arts, and yet they got a spaghetti brain. <laughs> oh, it's right. It's the truth. They have common things. It's when I was trained as a sheriff's chaplain. They said, "No, listen. You, you know, do the ride-alongs, and you go to accident scenes, and then you've got to do the death notifications for those who." And boy, that was always sticky work, you know, to go to a home and you knock on the door and you're wearing a sheriff's chaplain's jacket and you know someone's life is about to change forever. And to say, get the family all together. Everybody knows when a sheriff's chaplain shows up at your door, this is not going to be a good day. But you get the family together, you have them seated, and you say, hey, hey, your son was killed on a motorcycle. But in the training for this, they said, one thing you have to understand is, Different people are going to respond and grieve differently. And don't think better of one or worse of another. And he, almost always, if you have four or five children in a room and their parent died, there's one over here that will sit in the corner and sulk. They're sullen and morose and withdrawn. And over here is somebody who says, okay, we've got to call Aunt so-and-so, and boy, we're going to have to make arrangements for a meal, and I'm going to call. 
Now, is one of them better than the other? Uh-uh. Hey, we're going to have the coroner there, and he's going to say, hey, do you want to donate organs? And there's going to be somebody, Lou, leave my mom alone! What are you, some kind of monster? And there's somebody saying, hey, if it could help. Right? It's all over the map. And they said, let them grieve in the way that they need to grieve. Don't, don't be judgmental. Don't throw everybody in a box. And boy, that's true in ministry. Wow, I'm telling you, every church has got those. We say, our church is full of willing people. Some that are willing to do something and some that are willing to let them. <laughs> but I'm just starting with look right from birth some people have a natural bent I love working with my hands most of you don't know this but I'm a twin and I was born uh, three and a quarter pounds it's seven and a half months, premature. And they didn't know in those years that my mom was even pregnant with twins. And so she had already had four children, and now she's got another one. And boy, here's seven and a half months, and I say I beat my brother out. He says he kicked me out. But I came out at seven and a half months and I wasn't fully developed. Now I've blossomed since then. But <laughs> I didn't have a fully developed voice box, larynx, or esophagus. This is before any such thing as neonatal intensive care. Out comes this kid who's not fully developed, premature, and they notice there's another one upstream. In most cases, they'd have thrown me in the trash. But that doctor went back into the lab and got a little stainless steel tube, just an inch and a half long, half the diameter of a pencil, and cut it off and sewed it from the underside here down to here so that there will be a place for air to go in and out of my lungs. <coughs> now, I'm not a Calvinist, but do you believe that God Almighty knew Randy King would need a voice box? Right? I'm saying, when we get to heaven, we're going to find out God did a lot of stuff that none of us get to take credit for. It was just a mercy of God Almighty. But here, the Bible says there were these guys and they had their natural inclination. I like to work with my hands. I like to build things. I cannot read music. I don't do music. Well, I know a couple things about music, like why did Beethoven kill all of his chickens? Because they kept saying, bock, bock, bock. <laughs> or, or what do you get if you drop a piano down a mine shaft? A flat minor. <laughs> That's about as musical as I get. I always, I mean, people that are artists, people that paint, people that sing, I admire those people. Thank you for the special. I mean, I, I, I am bewildered. When I watch a woman playing an organ, and she's moving both hands, both feet, and singing, I say, that ain't human. <laughs> there ain't no way a human being can do that. But 
in the Bible, and I just want to read you a few verses. You could be turning to Genesis 46. You don't have to turn to these. Well, maybe Proverbs 18. How about Proverbs 18, and then we'll go to Genesis 46. It says in Numbers 16, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, watch, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Do you understand that there are some people who are natural born leaders? You want to be by them. You like being by them. They exude confidence and you have confidence in them. Their judgment, their leadership, their example. You just say, hey, that's a natural born leader. They Men of renown, the Bible says. There's another place, and you don't have to turn to these, but Exodus 18, it talks about men of truth. In 2 Kings 24, verse 16, men of might, even 7,000, and craftsmen and smiths, right? Blacksmiths. You got So in their nation, they had these guys who were skilled at building things. Hiram had those that were skilled to use timbers. And there were those that built the temple that were good at, at cleaving stones and making things with stones. There are people who just are good at certain things. In uh, 1 Chronicles 20, uh, 5.24, it talks about men of valor, famous men, and head of their houses... Do you believe that there are people who just naturally have valor and courage and they don't shirk in the face of responsibility? They don't shudder when there's a challenge in front of them. They just have a heart of valor. That's a gift from God Almighty. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Down in Ezra 8, it talks about God raising up Men of understanding. Another place it talks of men that understood the times. There are people who just can see a situation and grasp upon it and assess it, evaluate, and come out with a, hey, here's what should be done. Men of unusual understanding. I kind of hate social media in this way. Now today, you've got a fourth grade girl saying, I think the government should do this in Ukraine. Well, who gave her the authority or the perception to tell anybody what to do? There are people who are not qualified to speak, but that doesn't stop them from speaking. And so then you don't know what voices are legitimate and what ones aren't. But just to recognize there are people who are just good at some things. They're good in education, or they're good at making things, or they're good in music. And when I talk to people who are constantly envious, constantly critical, always, they're... The Bible says here in Proverbs, and I've had you turn to Proverbs 18, look at it in verse number 16. Verse number 16. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. Listen, if you're good at something, don't worry. Don't worry. People will want you around them. If you have a job, every company, they want to have good people working for them. They... Uh, the whole idea, Abraham Lincoln, when he, when he said to his dad, his dad said, what do you want to be? And he was just like a freshman age child. And he said, I want to be a lawyer. And his dad said, you don't want to be a lawyer. The woods is full of lawyers. There's no room for another lawyer. And Abraham Lincoln said, there's room at the top. If I'm the best lawyer, there'll be room for me. There'll be work for me. I'll always have work if I'm good at what I'm doing. And that attitude of, hey, if you're really gifted, you won't have to tell anybody, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. 
No, no, no. If you're really gifted, people will recognize that and they'll want to utilize you, employ you, engage you because you have a gift, a man's gift. The gift in itself makes room for you and that's what brings you before great men. It's not because you fluffed your feathers. It's not because you told everybody how bright you were. It's not because they'll recognize it. They'll recognize it. You don't need to worry about it. Your gift will bring you before great men. If you're really good at something, why, there's a way that you get advanced and advanced and advanced. And so, now look with me. Uh, I'm sorry I had you in Genesis 46, but look back in 2 Kings 24, and then we'll come back to Genesis 46. And you say, wow, I don't know where you're going with this. Me either. But at least I'm honest. <laughs> oh, wow. Even a blind hog finds an acorn someplace. I, I really am trying to get to Genesis 47, but we're just meandering here a little. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Kings 24. What's going on here is, right, the children of Israel have sinned against God. God's allowing the Assyrian captivity, the Babylonian captivity, the ten northern tribes, the two southern tribes, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and he's going to spoil the land. What do you do when you spoil somebody? You take away everything that's valuable, right? So you're capturing a people and you take away all the gold and you take away all the silver and you take anything that's valuable, you spoil them. So when King Nebuchadnezzar came to the land, I want you to see... In verse 11, 2 Kings 24, And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants did besiege it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, he and his mother and his servants, his princes and his officers. And the king of Babylon took him in the eighth year of his reign. So they surrendered. And he carried out, verse 13, he carried out thence, all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, as the Lord had said. And he carried away all Jerusalem. And now watch what it says. And all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, even 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and smiths, none remained. Why? Why? Because, hey, he wants to take them into his kingdom. He wants them to do things for him. Right? It was the same thing with Daniel and the three Hebrew children. I want the guys that know something. I want the best commodity, the most valuable resource. I want them. We'll take them and we'll put them in our kingdom. But I want you to see what the end of the verse says there. None remained save the poorest sort of the people of the land. It's not the poorest financially, the poorest sort of people. Those that have never done anything, those that have no gifts and no talents, those that have no initiative, those who have no character, those who are constantly on the public dole, those that are constant burden, why would I want to take them into my kingdom? What do they have to offer? What are they going to contribute? Hey, we got to leave some people here to till the land and to keep the weeds whacked down and to keep the beasts from taking over the cities, we'll leave those people here. They have nothing to offer. We'll let them do the menial tasks. We'll let them do the meaningless things. We'll let them, hey, we'll let, they're not going to rise up and conquer. They're not going to lead a rebellion, the bus full of mentally handicapped was on a tour and they let them out and they wandered in a shopping area and then they were at the restaurant and the one guy says, 
man, this is kind of scary. It's just one bus driver with all of these, some of them violent people, and aren't you scared they're going to? And he said, oh, I'm not scared. He says, they never organize. They don't think for themselves. They, as long as nobody suggests they do anything, they're not going to do anything. Boy, how many, how many people I've known through my life, and some of them Christians, you don't have to fear them. They're not going to ever accomplish anything. My dad used to say, that guy can keep himself busy in a bucket. <laughs> or that guy is so lazy, you have to drive a post in beside him to tell if he's moving. <laughs> now that's pretty slow. No, so we'll go back to our text now, Genesis 46, and um, it's kind of a neat, neat story. All of you know how Joseph and the vision, the coat of many colors, and you know how his brothers were jealous, and he had a dream, and they all came and did obeisance to him, and they said, are you kidding me? You think mom and dad are going to bow down to you? You think we're all going to bow down to you? They were already insanely jealous. And they said, what we'll do is we'll just sell them. We'll sell them for a slave. We'll, we'll get rid of them. We'll tell dad the, the, the beast got them. We'll, we'll, we'll just get rid of him. He's a plague to us. Now, you know the story. You run the clock ahead and, boy, he ultimately ends up in Egypt, right? And boy, later on, when they did come to him, he said, don't worry, God intended it. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And so there's the big picture, sweet story. And they always talk about Joseph. He didn't fail God when he was in the pit, and he didn't fail God when he was in the prison, and he didn't fail God when he was in the palace. He was true to God through all of that. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. But we pick up where the Pharaoh says, hey, I had a dream. It was a troubling dream, a troubling dream. And I'm going to get my soothsayers and my wizards and I'm going to get them and they're going to tell me what my dream is. And so he gets them in there and he says, okay, you guys, I had this dream and it was very troubling. You got to tell me. And they said, well, you tell us what the dream was, and then we'll tell you what the interpretation is. He says, no, no. If you're really seers and prophets, you can tell, us what the, tell me what the dream was and what it means. It reminds me of the sign in Georgia. I was driving, and there's this great big sign. It's all black with big white letters. Psychic convention. And in the bottom it said, if you're really psychic, you'll know where and when it is. <laughs> hey, if you're really psychic, you'll know. And so they said, well, we can't. I mean, that's impossible. We can't tell you the dream if you don't tell us what it was. And he says, and the guy says, well, I remember this guy in prison, and he could interpret dreams. Get him out, right? And Joseph comes out, and he says, I'll tell you, you saw seven fat cows and seven lean cows, and the seven fat ones, they were for when you're going to have bountiful years, but then there's going to come seven years of famine, and so what you have to do is just God showed you this so you could lay by a fifth of your harvest each year. And if you do that for seven years, you'll have enough to get you through the seven lean years of famine. And boy, immediately, Pharaoh says, wow, that's right, you're right. I'm going to put you in charge. I'll tell you what, you're going to be second in my kingdom only to me. And you're going you're to be the one that organizes the storehouses and builds them and you're going to be the one that gets everybody to put a fifth of their harvest away. 
boy, what a wonderful thing. God revealed secrets to you, and it's going to preserve us alive, and what a wonderful thing. And so God blesses Joseph in Egypt, right? But the famine isn't just in Egypt, it's up in Canaan. And Joseph's family is going to starve to death, their cattle, their sheep. And so they come down to Egypt. Now, Daddy doesn't know Joseph's alive or that he's in charge. But God intended this to preserve the children of Israel alive, right? So in the big picture, we know God's in this. Now, those of you that are familiar, up in Minnesota, way up, there's a Lake Itasca, and there is a pond and a kind of a marsh that drains into the pond, and out comes this little ribbon of water, and it's the headwaters for the Mississippi River. I've walked across the Mississippi. I have. But boy, it comes down through Minnesota and other rivers come into it and it's the Black River in Wisconsin and there's a river in Minnesota that comes and it gets bigger and goes down and here comes the mighty Missouri into it and the Ohio River and boy, you get all the way down and more rivers and more rivers and it's a mile wide then you get down to the Mississippi Delta and all of the soil that has eroded for all those years and after the flood, why, there's this alluvial plain, 50, 60 miles of topsoil and the Delta, all the fingers, this one silts full and it goes over here and this one silts full and it goes over here and pretty soon you get all this topsoil and that Delta is very, very fertile, and you can grow anything there. Well, think of the Nile River in Egypt, and it comes from all over the land of Egypt, and boy, it spills out into the Mediterranean Sea. But there is this very, very fertile spot. Hey, it's not mountainous, it's flat, right? Rivers are always at the bottom of the valley. Rivers are always finding a way to make their way to the sea. And where the Nile River comes into the Mediterranean Sea, there is this stretch of land, the most fertile land in all of Egypt and the most idyllic temperature. It's down by the sea level. It's very mild. It's just ideal for growing crops. And that's the land of Goshen. And that's kind of been a byword all the years. My mom, when she was marveling, she'd say, land of Goshen, land of Goshen. Boy, the land of Goshen. I mean, like, wow, have you ever seen it this good? And so that's going to be important as we read our passage because the children of Israel are going to come out of Canaan that's starving to death, and they're going to come down to Egypt and they say hey look at this why don't we stop right here in the land of Goshen now what's the chances that Pharaoh is going to give them the best land zero <laughs> zero and so watch watch what happens as we read in Genesis 46 Verse 24, the sons of Naphtali, these are the sons of Bilhah, verse 25. Verse 26, all the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, beside Jacob's sons' wives, all the souls were threescore and six. So 66. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. All the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were threescore and ten. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph, to direct his face into Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, to Goshen and presented himself unto him. And he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. 
And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren and unto his father's house, I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for they tra their trade hath been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. Now, I want to just give you a little terminology. If we said a husbandman is a guy that takes care of crops, it might be a vineyard, it might be an orchard, he's husbandman. The term shepherd is used for those that oversee cows or sheep or any animals at all. That's a general term. And almost, I mean, look, I'm a dairy farmer, so I live on a dairy farm, and if you ask me what I do, I say I'm a farmer. I'm just a farmer. And they say, well, what kind of farm? Are you a pig farmer? Are you a sheep farmer? Are you a cattle farmer? No, we're dairy farmers, right? But on our dairy farm, we had a couple pigs. We had a bunch of chickens. We had other animals. But what we primarily had was cows, dairy cows. And so, Joseph, how many of you understand that the children of Israel are kind of capable of being a little bit deceptive? Uh, that's my sister. Or... Um, yeah, it's, it's me. Feel my arm, you know, the hairy one. You understand, they're pretty good at this. So, watch what Joseph says. It says, and Joseph said to his brethren, verse 31, and unto his father's house, I'll go up and show Pharaoh and say, my brethren and my father's house, which were in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. And the men are shepherds, for their trade hath been to feed cattle. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come to pass, verse 33, when Pharaoh shall call you and shall say, what is your occupation? Verse 34, that ye shall say, thy servant's trade hath been about what? Cattle. From our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. Why? For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Hey, they hate, they hate sheep. You can't tell them that you have sheep. You can say you have a few, but you have to tell them our trade is cows. We're cows. We like cows. We have cows. We have cows. Our grandpa had cows. Our dad had cows. Our occupation, we're, we're basically cows. Why? Why is it that shepherds, the sheep, are an abomination to the Egyptians? Well, in the first place, up until now in history, the only people that ever conquered Egypt and ruled over them and kept them under the boot of bondage were people that had sheep. And they hated them. And when they were able to overthrow them, they couldn't wait to get the mutton out of there. And then, if you ever watched Matt Dillon, Bat Masterson, or all those other documentaries, <laughs> they had range wars. Hey, we're not going to let you put barbed wire up. Our cattle run all over here. And wow, we are not letting those people bring sheep out here. This is cattle country. Why? Why? Because cows, cows have a way. They let the grass grow and it can have, here's the new growth and here's the medium growth and here's the stemmier hard brown grass. And a cow will nuzzle down in between and take a bite 
and then they'll move over here and take another bite, and they'll move over here and take another bite. And when they void their bladder, they liquefy a little, and when they do number two, they're fertilizing it. And then when they lay down, they squash a bunch of it, and they get up and they walk around. And cattle don't destroy a pasture. They can live, you can get a lot of cows living on a pasture, and it just lasts and lasts because cows, these big things, but sheep, sheep, they're lawnmowers. <laughs> and when you put sheep in a pasture, they will, mm, 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 they'll eat anything just like a billy goat, and they will eat it down to the nubs, and they'll pull it up by the roots, and they'll nuzzle their nose right down in and get right down to nothing, and they will just devastate a pasture. And that's why all shepherds are nomadic. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You got to let them graze here, but you got to move them over here. And you got to take them to another green pasture. And you got to take them over here. Because if you just put them here, they're going to destroy it. Everybody knows that. And so what's the chances that Pharaoh wants sheep in the land of Goshen? Zero. Zero. And Joseph knows this. And he says, look, you guys know we're going to be a little fancy. I'm going to tell them that you're going to bring your flocks and your herds. Sure, we don't mind you got a few sheep. But you got to tell them, cows, it's cows, it's all cows. Don't be stupid about this. We're a little fancier than that. Hey, tell them, you're cows and your dad was cows and your grandpa was cows. Because then maybe Pharaoh will let you stay in the land. Now watch. Chapter 47. Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they're in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh. He has primed the pump. He's told him, when you get in front of Pharaoh, he's probably going to ask you, what's your occupation? Tell him, cows. Everybody ready for this? No surprises here? Now watch. And Pharaoh, verse 3, said unto his brethren, what is your occupation? Shocking! We're ready for this. And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we come, for thy servants have no pasture for their herds. No, no. Flocks. We got sheep. We got lots of sheep. We need feed for our sheep. We, uh, uh, us and our fathers, We've always been about sheep, and boy, we brought a whole bunch of sheep. What made you think that was a good idea? Let me ask you something. Do you believe that the Pharaoh of Egypt knew what the main trade was up in Israel? Right? What's your occupation? This is a test. This is a test. Well, we need a place for our flocks. And it says, For thy servants, in the middle of verse 4, have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. We don't want to just come here and we're just not trying to eke out a living. We want the best. Put us in the land of Goshen. What do you think Pharaoh's going to say? Watch, watch. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are coming to thee. 
The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. Now this is a miracle, what you're reading right here. And then watch. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. Now listen to me and I'm done. There is something about a man who has integrity who will tell the truth, come hell or high water, this is me. What you see is what you get. I'm not pretending anything. I'm not duplicitous. I'm not manipulative. I'm not a liar. Here's me. Listen. All over this country, people who have integrity are in demand. People who are honest, people who are charactered, people who are principled are in demand. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, okay, these guys have integrity. Let them dwell in the land. But on top of that, if you have a man, if there's any men of activity among them, <laughs> Any men of activity among them. Hear me, hear me. Any job, any company, if you have somebody who's charactered and they come to work every day, they're respectful, they're honest, they're not stealing from work, they're not cheating the company, and then they have initiative. I want them in charge. You know how they get foremen? You know how they get company leads. You know how they get shift supervisors. You know how they get a, a factory leaders. Because they're looking for somebody with integrity and activity. And Pharaoh says, hey, hey, if you know anybody that has the integrity and they have the activity, put them in charge of my stuff. I've watched this my whole life. Some of, just like God blessed Joseph, God has a way of blessing people in our generation. If you will have character and activity, initiative, true story. Two boys went to high school, graduated, and they both started to work at the railroad on the same week after graduation. And after 35 years... The one guy was working on a section crew and he was helping put in the ballast and then the ties and laying the rails. And here down the new siding came an engine and two cars and it was the president of the railroad's car. And boy, it stopped before they got to where the work was going on and out came the president of the railroad and he walked up, and there was his high school buddy driving spikes. And the one looks at the other, and they immediately recognized. And the guy who had been in the ditch pitching ballast and now nailing ties looks and says, Hey, how is it that we both started on the exact same day and I'm still down here putting ties and you're the president of the railroad. How did that happen? And he said, because you went to work for the paycheck and I went to work for the railroad. Hey, hey. The people that have initiative, they want to see the company succeed. They want to see things done better. They want to... The way to success, I mean, you can't... I, I see it my whole life, and I, and I hate to sound quite this pragmatic, but Pharaoh says, you put him in charge of my cattle. These are the kind of guys I want in charge. In the secular world, in the pharaohs of Egypt, they know, they recognize, they appreciate somebody that has initiative, that has vision, that wants to see something done. The guy who says... Here I am on this ladder. 
I have people under me. I have people over me. I have those I'm responsible to, and I have those that I'm responsible for. The way to get up the ladder is to push up on the guy in front of you. Help him do better. Help him succeed. Don't try to pull him down. Help him go up. And then there's room for you, and you take a step up and reach down and help the guy behind you. Help him get up another rung. You'd be surprised. I, I see it everywhere. The guys who have that mentality... A man of integrity, a man of initiative. If you have a man of activity, I want him in charge. I'm just challenging you. Look, this is true in the secular world. It's true in a church. How come, how come I don't get to lead the choir? How come they never ask me to do that? Why can't I be in charge of this? Hey, 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 if you're a person of integrity and a person of initiative, you'd be surprised what doors God opens in front of you to serve in the local church. But if you're constantly carping and moaning and criticizing, if you're just looking with the green eye of envy and you're just criticizing everything around you, you'll never see that door open. Who wants to ride the river with you? Uh, uh, who wants you in their boat? Who wants to be around you? The ones that are always, oh, oh, I'm just so busy, I'm just so busy. Busy in a bucket, I can keep myself busy. And they never get anything done. You want them in charge? No. Someone who's lazy? Someone who's critical, you want them in charge? No. Men of integrity and initiative, there's always room for them. You don't have to wonder. The guys that run the companies, the pharaohs of the world, they want those kind of people to work for them. They want them in areas of responsibility. They have confidence that they understand leadership. And so I'm, I'm just challenging you today. Nothing tricky, nothing fancy here. But your goal should be, Lord, no matter what station I find myself in life, no matter what my natural gifts, notice they, they wanted the most capable people. But you don't have to have a whole bunch of gifts if you have character, if you have discipline, if you have initiative, we'll find a place to put you in charge. Heads bowed and eyes closed today.